Chapters 1 and 2 of The Interrupted Kiss. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Céline Major. The Interrupted Kiss by Richard Marsh. Chapter 1. In the Dead of Night. Mrs. Harmer sat up in bed trying to make out what had woke her. Something had. A few seconds ago she had been fast asleep. Now she was wide awake. Something had caused her to pass from one state to another with surprising quickness. What was it? The blind and curtains rustled at the open window. She could hear the breezes whispering without. But in the room and the house all was still. Yet she was conscious of a curious conviction that she had been roused from slumber by some unusual sound, one which, despite the silence, still seemed echoing in her ears. What could it have been? She listened for her husband's breathing. They occupied twin beds separated only by a pedestal cupboard. She could always hear his breathing when he slept, though ever so lightly. Now she could hear nothing. Was he awake and listening as she was? She wondered, whispering his name in a tone which, while audible to him if awake, would not disturb him if he slept. Edwin? No reply. Then he was not awake. But, if he slept, why could she not hear him breathing? A sudden panic possessed her. Edwin! She spoke louder, in a tone which she knew would reach him though he slept, for nothing was easier than to rouse him out of slumber. Yet no response. She waited for some moments, then, leaning from her bed towards his, she exclaimed again, Edwin! This time her voice sounded so portentously in the darkened room that she herself was startled. She had never known him sleep so that such a sound would not have effectually aroused him. But no answer came. There was not a movement in his bed. A suggestion that the first faint gleams of dawn were not far off seemed to be stealing through the sides of the blind, but as yet darkness still reigned. She tried to make out her husband's bed, but could not. Seized with a curious unreasoning fear of she knew not what, getting out of her own bed with a half a step, she moved to his. It was empty. The sense of touch told her so much. That explained the silence. The bedclothes were thrown right back, the sheet felt cool to her hand. Apparently the bed had been unoccupied for some little time. She felt for the candlestick which stood on the cupboard. It was gone and the matches too. Probably he had taken them both. The discovery of their absence seemed to increase her sense of discomfiture. What in the darkness all alone there was she to do? His absence was open to any one of half a dozen simple and natural explanations. Ordinarily, it would not have disturbed her. She would have awaited his return, and after a question or two there would have been an end. But then, to her disturbed imagination, everything wore an unwanted guise. Throughout the preceding day, ever since their arrival at Timberham, there had been an electrical quality in the air of which she was conscious though unable to explain. Something was going on which she did not understand. Edwin had come to bed long after she had. His coming had disturbed her. Even though she had been heavy with sleep, she had felt that there had been something unusual in his bearing as he was preparing himself for bed. In general, the coolest and easiest tempered of men, he had seemed both excited and angry. When she spoke to him, he had answered curtly, almost rudely. Even in the midst of her sleepiness, it had seemed to her dreadful that Edwin should be so uncivil, who was wont to be the most courteous of husbands. 
But so tired was she that, before she could expostulate, almost even before she knew it, she was asleep again, and had continued to sleep until suddenly she had been roused by she knew not what, to find that Edwin was not in his bed after all. Was it his leaving the room which had roused her? It might have been, yet she had a vague feeling that it had been something much more startling than that, something which had come from without, not from within. Considering what time it must have been when Edwin came to bed, he could hardly have gone to sleep before he was up again. He had had no rest at all. What could have disturbed him? Where could he have gone? What could he be doing? Claire Harmar waited what seemed to her to be an inordinately long while without anything happening. There was not a sound. Not a sign of Edwin. To her all seemed even strangely still. To her excited imagination, there was that in the very quality of the silence which suggested that something unusual was in the air. Groping her way to the door, opening it, she stood and listened. In the passage it was darker than in the bedroom. Nothing was to be either seen or heard. With her hand against the wall, she went along it till she reached the main corridor beyond. Timberham was a rambling old house, all turns and twists. Having gained the corridor, she paused, then moved to the left, and had only taken half a dozen little steps when a voice, speaking close to her, made her heart stand still. "'Who's that?' She knew the voice. It was Elsie Graham's. Had it been some unknown monsters, it could hardly have frightened her more. "'Elsie, how you frightened me!' "'Claire, is that you? "'When I heard you coming, I thought I should have died. "'My dear, my dear!' "'Although they were now so close that they could touch each other "'and were indeed promptly folded in each other's arms, "'in the pitch darkness of the narrow winding passage "'they still remained invisible. "'They spoke in whispers. "'Claire, did you hear that dreadful noise? "'Something disturbed me. "'I wondered what it was.' When I woke there was such a din that I thought the house was tumbling down about my ears. When I went to my room door to find out what was the matter, the only thing I could hear was Rupert's voice shouting as if he had gone mad. Rupert? Claire, something dreadful has been going on downstairs. I, I'm afraid to think what. Mrs. Harmar, becoming conscious that the girl whom she held in her arms was only in her night attire, without even a dressing gown, realized, with something of a shock, that she herself was in the same condition. That Elsie was in a state of curious agitation was plain. She could feel her, though the night was warm, trembling as with cold. It was probably only the force of her own emotion which kept her from inquiring how the other came to be wandering about alone. Mrs. Harmar feared that she might ask at any moment. What answer could she give? The girl's words and manner affected her more than she would have cared to admit. Evidently her presentiment had been justified. The dead of the night had seen strange happenings. How stupid she had been to leave her room in that wild goose fashion. Suppose Elsie asked what had become of her husband. Should she tell her that she had come in search of him, after what she had hinted of terrible doings below? Hardly. That might be to entangle Edwin and she knew not what. Her desire was to get back to her room as fast as she could before Edwin got there before anyone except Elsie knew that she had left it. She put her desire into instant execution. Hush, Elsie, there's someone coming. Get back to your room. I'm going to mine, quick. The words were but a faint. So far as she knew, no one was coming. There was not a sound to be heard. All she wanted was an excuse to retreat. 
loosing Elsie, indifferent whether she went or stayed, flying around her own corner as fast as the darkness would let her, she regained her room, to find that her husband had already returned. The lighted candle was on the mantel. He was by the bedside in his pajamas, some papers in his right hand. "'How did you get back?' she asked. He replied to her question with another. "'Where have you been?' "'Edwin, I've been to look for you. How you frightened me!' When I woke, I found you weren't in your bed. I wondered where you'd gone. When I waited and you didn't come, I thought that something must have happened. I went to try to find you. How did you get back without my seeing you? You've been to look for me. How far have you been? She was troubled by the singularity of his tone and manner. He spoke so abruptly, so harshly, so threateningly. There was such a strange look upon his face. Of anger, and she knew not what beside. His jaw was set so rigidly, so sternly. There was such a curious pallor about his cheeks as if he were white with rage. Such a glare was in his eyes, in which, until then, when they looked at her, they had scarcely ever known anything but a smile. This was not the sunny, light-hearted, careless, easy-going Edwin Harmar she had married. He was transformed. She stared at him, her hand held to her side. She felt as if a cold finger had touched her heart. I've only been to the corner. I can't make out how you got back here without my seeing you, especially if you were carrying a light. I wasn't. I only lit up when I found that you weren't in the room. Edwin, tell me, what happened? What have you been doing? I know it's silly, but you don't know how, how anxious I have been. She spoke with an intensity of which she was not conscious. It affected him oddly. He turned his back on her, as if he were aware that it was only by not seeing her face that he could resist her appeal. "'Don't ask me any questions now. In the morning I'll tell you all there is to tell. Get into bed.' He spoke hoarsely, as if it were with difficulty that he spoke at all. Stretching out one of the papers he was holding towards the candle, it burst into flame. She noticed that in shape it seemed a narrow oblong, and that its color was blue. He held it in his fingers while it was consumed. "'What is that that you're burning?' "'Don't you see that it's a paper? Please do as I tell you. Get into bed and go to sleep.' "'Aren't you going to bed?' "'I am when I have burnt these papers.' She would have liked to ask a dozen questions, but she did not dare. She had never conceived of it as possible that she could be afraid of her husband. But she was then.' Consciously or not, she had hitherto regarded him as a more or less irresponsible being who was to be steered through life by her. This new, curt, grim man scared her. She was awed by the discovery that behind the man she knew was another of whose existence she had not dreamed. Attempting no remonstrance, she got into bed as he bade her. She lay and watched him burning the oblong-shaped blue papers one after the other. She counted them. There were seven. It was noticeable how he held each between his finger and thumb till it was utterly consumed. When they were all burned, he blew out the candle and got into bed without a word. She waited for him to speak. When he still said nothing, "'Good night,' she murmured. "'Good night.' His tone was gruff, as if he spoke against his will. She lay still, feeling as if that cold finger were being pressed closer to her heart. When she could bear it no longer, she whispered, "'Edwin!' mayn't I come into your bed? I'd rather you didn't. You're better where you are. Go to sleep. I never shall go to sleep if I stay here. Please, 
Please, may I come? She spoke almost with a sob in her voice. There was a momentary pause before he answered, Come. Nothing could have savored less of enthusiasm than the sanction so brusquely given. Yet she scrambled out of her bed into his as eagerly as if he had offered her the warmest of welcomes. She snuggled into his arms, almost as it seemed against his will, but when she had once got there he held her tight. She kissed him and whispered, Sweetheart. He said nothing, but his hold tightened. Presently in his arms she was fast asleep, sleeping as quietly as sleeps a child. But he did not close his eyes. CHAPTER Two, THE NEWS WHICH THE MORNING BROUGHT The sun was pouring in through the sides of the blind when there came a sharp rapping at the bedroom door. On the instant Harmar, wide awake, inquired, "'Who's there?' A masculine voice replied, "'If you please, Mr. Harmar, can I speak to you at once?' Slipping from beneath the sheets, Harmar crossed towards the door. His moving disturbed his wife, who woke with a little startled exclamation. "'Edwin, what's the matter? Where are you going? Who's at the door?' Vouchsafing no reply, her husband, passing through the door, drew it to behind him. Not yet sufficiently awake to be clearly conscious of what was taking place, she lay still with her head on the pillow. Presently the door reopened to admit her husband's head. "'I'm going downstairs with Tyrell.' Before she could speak the door was shut again, and he was gone." She sat up in bed, effectually roused by his words and action. Gone downstairs with Tyrell? Why had he done that? In such haste that he could not stay to put a dressing-gown over his pajamas. Tyrell was her uncle's manservant, who under his master ruled the household with a rod of iron. What could he want with Edwin, that he should so unceremoniously take him away? In the morning brightness it was not easy to recall the events of the night, in all their seeming portentous significance but she remembered. Had Tyrell's abrupt bearing away of her husband anything to do with what had occurred in the night, she wondered, conscious of a little fluttering in her bosom. Suddenly there was a tapping at the panel of the door quite different from Tyrell's. That was authoritative, ominous, commanding attention. This was furtive, timid, as if desirous of attracting as little attention as needs be yet there was about it a quality which affected her more than the other had done her husband. Who is it? A voice, which seemed as anxious as the tapping to evade notice, inquired, May I come in? Elsie, is it you? Of course. Edwin's gone downstairs. The door opened to admit her cousin, Elsie Graham. Why, my goodness, are you already dressed? I've been dressed some little while. Whatever is the time? It's still early. "'Haven't you... haven't you heard?' "'Heard what?' Mrs. Harmar glanced at her husband's watch, which was on the pedestal cupboard at her side. "'Why, it's not yet six o'clock. What on earth has got you out of bed, dressed at this hour of the morning? Is it... Rupert?' About the speaker's lips were the beginnings of a smile. As she noticed the expression which was on the girl's face, they vanished. "'Elsie, what is the matter? Why did you ask me if I'd heard?' Tyrell's just dragged Edwin off downstairs, but I've not the faintest notion why. Elsie was standing at the foot of the bed with both hands clasping the brass rail as if they found it necessary to clasp something. Mrs. Harmar saw how white she was, what an odd look was in her eyes, how her lips seemed to twitch when she spoke, which she did in a whisper which was only just audible to her cousin sitting up at the other end of the bed. 
Uncle John is dead. Dead? Uncle John? Elsie? He... he's been killed. Killed? What do you mean? He... he's been murdered in the night. There was silence. The young women looked at each other. What they saw in each other's eyes they alone knew. It seemed to be something which caused their hearts to stand still. Presently Elsie, moving from the foot of the bed, turning to the window, began, as if mechanically, unwittingly, to draw up the blind. "'What are you doing?' asked Mrs. Harmar. "'I beg your pardon. I—I I was forgetting.' "'It doesn't matter. Go on now. Let's have all the sunshine that we can.' Elsie drew the blind up to the top. The morning sun filled the room with a glow of golden light. While the girl stood looking out of the window, seeing but she knew what, Mrs. Harmar asked, speaking as if she touched on a forbidden topic. "'Are you sure?' "'About uncle?' "'Yes. Quite. I—I've seen him.' There was something in the way in which this was said which caused the other to shiver. Elsie turned towards the bed. Words burst suddenly from her lips. "'Claire, I've come to ask you not to tell anyone that we saw each other in the middle of the night.' We didn't. I certainly did not see you. You know what I mean. Please forget anything you may have heard me say. I have forgotten. Thank you. Oh, Claire. The girl put her hands up to her face with a sound which was very like a sob. Mrs. Harmar remonstrated. Don't. It may be all a mistake. Lowering her hands, the girl regarded her cousin with a look in her eyes which was more eloquent than many words could have been. Mrs. Harmar shut her eyes, as if she preferred not to see what was in the others. As if the purpose of her coming was fulfilled, Elsie moved towards the door, pausing as she reached it. "'If anyone asks if you were disturbed in the night, you are to say that you were not. You understand?' "'I understand.' "'Promise that you will say that nothing disturbed you.' "'I promise.' The girl went out. Mrs. Harmar continued sitting up in bed, something on her face which had not been there when the girl had entered. Leaning over the side of the bed, she saw in the grate the ashes of the papers which her husband had burned in the candle. Slipping on to the floor, she picked them up scrap by scrap, and crushed them in her hands till nothing remained but the black stain upon her skin. She had had her bath and had nearly completed her toilette when her husband reappeared. If at his entrance she started, it was only for a moment— she went on dressing with an appearance of outward calm. In general, he would have burst boisterously into the room, whistling or singing, and would have addressed her laughingly, if he had not taken her into his arms and kissed her, for although they had been married more than two years, until yesterday they had been still at that stage in which some husbands and wives are fonder than lovers. Now he came in silently, and being in, said nothing. His wife, without turning, could see in the looking-glass that he stood staring about him absent-mindedly, as if uncertain what to do. Something in his attitude seemed to pain her almost beyond bearing. She asked, speaking with an effort which would have been perceptible to anyone but him, "'What did Tyrell want you for?' Her question seemed to bring him back to earth with a bump. "'Tyrell?' "'Oh! Something, something dreadful has happened to your uncle.' "'What?' "'Claire, he's dead.' "'Dead?' Try as she might, she could not bring into her tone the ring of horror and surprise which she felt that the occasion demanded. Its absence went unnoticed by him. All his faculties seemed to be engaged in the effort to tell her something he found it very difficult to put into words. His readiness of tongue was a proverb, 
nothing could have shown more clearly the odd condition he was in than his stammering inability to find the words he wanted. It looks, it looks, as if he had been murdered. Again she was vaguely conscious that the announcement ought to have shocked her into speechless amazement, but she was so struck by a peculiarity which she thought she noted in his tone that she forgot all else. What do you mean by it looks? Claire, God knows, God knows. This time his passionate reference to the deity did shock her. As he moved towards her, she, as if without knowing it, drew back a little. He threw out his arms with a gesture which italicized his words. I don't understand. I don't understand. She eyed him as if something in his words or manner had sent her doubts traveling in a new direction. What don't you understand? Apparently he had all at once become conscious that in her bearing there was something singular. He observed her as if he were endeavoring to ascertain exactly what it was. Suddenly he drew himself up straighter. His tone changed. It became peremptory, hard. I can only tell you that John Culver's dead. As although he was your uncle, no love was lost between us, I can scarcely pretend to be very sorry. How he came to his death cannot be said with certainty till a doctor has seen him. Banyard has been sent for, and by the time he's here I ought to be dressed. He went to the bathroom, his towels over his arm. His wife, left alone, surveying her pretty face in the mirror, said to herself one or two curious things. Is this the end, or is it only the beginning? I wonder if I am sorry that Uncle John is dead. She could see for herself how suddenly she changed countenance as she replied to her own question. I suppose it depends a good deal on how he died. CHAPTER Three, THE EMPTY ROOM Elsie Graham went from Mrs. Harmar's room straight into the garden, hatless, just as she was. She felt that she would suffocate if she stayed in the house, that she must breathe the clean, fresh air. But she could not rid herself of that suffocating feeling even when she was out of doors, though it was the sort of morning in which her soul had been wont to delight. Nothing surprises youth so much as the rapidity with which the aspect of the world can be changed. It seemed incredible that this could be the world in which she had gone to sleep last night. Incredible. That was a place in which it had been good to be alive, and in which there was nothing but happiness. This was the place unspeakable in which there was only blackness, hiding from her the fact that the sun was shining. She knew not where to go to escape her misery. She knew, indeed, that she never could escape it, but if only for an instant she could forget it. She went quickly across the grass, almost scampering in her eagerness to reach the wood, where, peradventure, oblivion might be found. She had reached the gate which opened into the copse when a sound came towards her through the air. Elsie! Someone called her name, a voice which she knew well. As she heard it, she reeled, catching at the top of the gate with both her hands, as if without its support she would have fallen. Although she might not have admitted it even to herself, it was to escape from the owner of that voice for at least a little while that she had been hurrying towards the woods. Now that the sound of it came to her, it was as though her limbs had been turned into lead and her feet fastened to the ground. She could not move. Had hers been the gifts of the fairies, she would, there and then, have become invisible or transported herself, in the twinkling of an eye, to the other side of the world. Being without them, since her limbs refused to perform for her their proper offices, she could but cling to the gate and await, helplessly, his coming. 
for he was coming, moving towards her across the grass more rapidly even than she had done. "'Whither away, child, at ten miles an hour? Are you for the woods so early in the morning? It's an excellent idea. I'll come with you. But first, if my lady pleases.' He made as if, as a matter of course, he would take her in his arms. She shrunk closer to the gate, holding out her arm toward him off. "'No, don't touch me. Don't.' He stared at her as if surprised. "'But, Elsie, I only want to finish the kiss I began last night.' "'Last night my uncle was not dead.' "'That is true. But last night you promised you'd be my wife, and despite the dear gentleman's departure for a better world, that fact remains this morning.' "'It doesn't.' She stood with her back, close up to the gate, as if its near neighborhood gave her courage. He was a tall, dark man, with a hairless face, which looked as if it never needed shaving. A clever face, with a strong mouth and chin. The face of a man who, if he was set on a thing, would not stick at a trifle to get it. A critical spectator might have felt that they would make a well-matched pair. Like him, she was also tall, with a clear, colorless skin which goes with perfect health. A great mass of hair whose hue suggested the young hazelnut, which has just been detached from its green envelope and grey eyes, which had a trick of looking half a dozen different things in half a dozen consecutive seconds. To Rupert Earle, it seemed that at that moment they looked at dozen different things at once. There was a twinkle in his own dark orbs as he endeavoured to resolve precisely what they were. "'The fact that last night you promised you would be my wife does not remain a fact this morning. Well, well!' About the corners of his lips there was a hint of a smile, as if there was that in this young lady's attitude which amused him. His seeming enjoyment of the situation was evidently not shared by her. "'Do you think that I don't know?' The words came from her as if she would have thrown them at him. "'Know what?' "'Oh!' The exclamation was apparently involuntary, convulsive. As she had done in Mrs. Harmar's bedroom, she put her hand up to her face as if to veil her eyes. "'Elsie, what's wrong? Tell me. As if you didn't know. You credit me with a knowledge which I lack. Come, make a clean breast of it to your future husband.' "'My future husband? You? My God!' Again, covering her face with her hands, she stood shuddering as with palsy. He waited till the paroxysm seemed to have spent itself. Some bees got into your bonnet. I wonder what it is. Last night I told you, what I've no doubt you knew already, that I cared for you more than I thought I had it in me to care for any woman. And you told me, what seemed too good to be true, that you cared for me a little. Don't speak of it. I forbid you to speak of it. But isn't it unreasonable? Now, when this morning I come to you as my plighted wife, you... Really... "'seem to regard me as if I were a leper. "'That is not the proper way to treat your future husband. "'Mr. Earle. "'Mr. Earle. "'Rupert Earle, if you prefer that I should address you "'by your Christian name for the last time. "'I've been wondering since an early hour this morning "'if this would be the attitude you'd take up. "'I wondered if you'd have sufficient courage. "'There is only one condition on which I might become your wife. "'It's conceded.' So long as you're my wife, what matters? Wait until you've heard. I believe I have read somewhere that a wife cannot give evidence against her husband on a capital charge. If my being kept out of the witness box were the only thing which could save you from the gallows, then, for your neck's sake, I might become your wife. 
but in that case only. As she spoke, she looked him straight in the face, and he looked at her. But while her gray eyes seemed to blaze, the twinkle in his dark ones had grown more pronounced. His hands in his trousers' pockets, his head thrust a little forward, his lips pressed close together, there was in every line of him the suggestion that Doggett does it. "'Upon my honour, that's a nice thing to say to a man. Last night's lover.' "'It's the truth, and all I have to say to you, or ever shall have.' "'You're, shall I put it, suggesting that I gave John Culver his quietus?' "'Well, if I did. Never a man better deserved to have his neck well twisted. You know it, though you're his niece. All the world knows it. Do you think I'd let a trifle like that stand between you and me?' "'Not much. That kiss was unfinished last evening. I've had it in my mind all through the night that I'd finish it this morning, and as sure as we are still alive. "'Claire!' Her sudden call diverted his attention. He looked round. In that instant she had passed him and was away flying across the grass at the top of her speed, calling as she went, "'Claire! Claire!' Mrs. Harmar had just come out of the house. When she heard her cousin's voice and saw her running, she advanced to meet her. When they reached each other, the girl was trembling so that she could scarcely stand. "'Elsie, what is the matter with you? From whom have you been running away?' "'I've been running away from Rupert.' "'Running away from Rupert? But, I thought, it was generally rather the other way about.' "'Claire, don't say that. Don't say it. Don't talk like that ever again.' If I could, I'd hide myself from him at the bottom of the sea. I'd go anywhere, do anything, if I could make sure that he would never come near me again. Mrs. Harmar said nothing. She looked at the excited girl with her pretty face all puckered up as if bewildered. When Rupert Earle, quitting his solitude by the gate, came towards them across the lawn, Elsie would have continued her retreat, but Mrs. Harmar stayed her, gripping her with unexpected strength by the arm. Don't be silly, don't make a scene. Keep still. Don't you understand that if you don't want bad to become worse, you must try to behave as if nothing had happened, at least for the present? The words were spoken beneath her breath, as if though there was no one near them she wished to run no risk of being overheard. They seemed to have their effect upon the girl, who replied in the same tone, I'll keep still. I won't make a scene, only please let go of my arm, you hurt. Mrs. Harmar loosed her. The two women waited side by side for the man's approach. Elsie, white and tremulous, Claire with an appearance of greater ease, the ghost of a smile upon her face. Earl broke into greeting while he was still at a distance. "'Good morning, Mrs. Harmar. Isn't there a play called The Adventures of a Night? It's been an adventurous night at Timberham. Alarums and excursions, robbers and thieves, and I don't know what. I've to sympathize with you on the loss of your uncle.' "'Thank you, Mr. Earle.' "'Poor dear, good old man. "'There was no love lost between us, "'and I never pretended that there was. "'Was there any one who loved him? "'I'll swear there was no one he ever loved. "'Love and John Culver. "'The Latin tag bids us speak no ill of the dead, "'but at such a moment one must say something. "'Only a week or two I warned him that, "'if he wasn't careful, he'd never die in his bed, "'and he hasn't. "'Hello, Harmar.' Edwin Harmar had come through an open French window. Earl hailed him, shouting an inquiry. "'Do you remember my telling old Culver that if he didn't mind his P's and Q's he'd come to a bad end?' 
Harmar came rapidly towards them, angrily. Earl, don't be a fool, shouting out such things. As if the whole world couldn't hear you. The whole world can hear, for all I care. But I care, and so do you, if you're not an idiot. I've been wondering how I can get my wife out of the house, and Elsie. They oughtn't to stop a moment longer than can be helped. Do you think the police will let them go? What the deuce do you mean? My dear man, the whole house is suspect. Probably the attitude of the police will be that the old gentleman's been done to death by some member of his own household. They may suspect anyone, you or me. Here's Tyrell. What does he want? Possibly he's come to tell us that there's already a warrant out for our arrest. Tyrell was a tall, thin man with a slight stoop. His hair was just turning gray. He was a person of few words and had the reputation of being bad-tempered. How, if that was the case, he had managed to continue in John Culver's service for more than thirty years was a mystery. A more trying master for a bad-tempered servant it would have been difficult to find. At the present moment he seemed oddly disconcerted. He was stroking his shaven chin with nervous fingers. His eyes had a trick of looking at anyone but the person whom he addressed. "'Excuse me, but can either of you gentlemen tell me what has become of Mr. Palgrave?' They stared at him. His tone and manner were so strange. It was Mr. Harmar who spoke. "'Mr. Palgrave, isn't he in his bedroom?' "'No, sir, that's exactly what he isn't. It doesn't look as if he had been, either.' A keen observer might have noticed that Earl and Harmar exchanged glances, as it were, involuntary glances. This time it was Earl who spoke sharply, as if the man's statement had annoyed him. "'Rubbish! I saw him go into his room with my own eyes. I said good-night to him at his bedroom door.' "'Then in that case he's not in it now.' "'Why should he be? Can't he have gone out for an early walk? Where's the mystery?' Keep a tight hold of yourself, Tyrell, or you'll be seeing something where there's nothing to be seen. I've met cases like yours before. Well, Mr. Earl, it's like this. The maid went up to call Mr. Palgrave, and when he didn't answer, she looked in, thinking he might be asleep. But he wasn't in his room at all, and as the bed hasn't been slept in, it doesn't look as if he had been. How do you know the bed hasn't been slept in? The girl fetched me to look. There was everything exactly as she had left it last night. The bed turned down, his pajamas laid out, nothing touched. If, as you say, sir, he did go into his room, he never went to bed, that's certain sure. And where is he now? End of chapters 1, 2, and 3